Hi, I'm Eloisa Barbosa. I'm an audio producer. What I do is I walk around the city of Boston talking to people and recording their stories. I think we can know a lot about a city by listening to people who live in that city. We can also know a lot about a city by counting things. Like, how many people live in the city of Boston? How many residents of the city of Boston are brown, black, and white? How many residents use public transportation every day? I am always very taken by the idea that we can count almost everything in our existence. Every plant, every animal, every person, every interaction that we take part in can be counted and measured. And all this counting is what we call data. The city of Boston has massive data on its population. But there is something that's left out of these massive numbers. And the thing that's missing is the singular story, the individual voices. That's why I got together with the research division of the Boston Planning and Development Agency to bring to you a series of audio stories called Boston Stories and Numbers. Because before we build a better future for all, we need to imagine it. And the stories are the first step in this imagination. Phil Granberry, demographer from the research division, will be your host and your guide through these stories. You will hear Phil's voice very soon. I hope that you enjoy listening to Boston Stories and Numbers. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Phil Granberry, a demographer for the Boston Planning and Development Agency. I will be your host for this episode of Boston in Stories and Numbers. In January 2023, Eloisa Barbosa, the audio producer of this project, went to the Boston International High School, located between Dorchester and Mattapan two neighborhoods of Boston with high concentrations of lower-income residents. The Boston International High School is dedicated to attending to the needs of recently arrived immigrant youth in the city of Boston who have limited English proficiency or some gaps with their formal schooling. Each year, Boston International High School receives around 200 new students. There, Eloisa met a group of nine seniors who were in the midst of applying for college. She offered an audio storytelling workshop for these nine seniors and recorded them reading their college essays. She also gave each one a recorder and asked them to capture sounds of their lives. 
What you will hear are five very moving audio essays that are infused with the spirit of imagination and hope for the future. But before we go into the episode, I want to let you know that you will hear five of the nine essays, but you can go visit the website, Boston Stories and Numbers, to listen to the amazing audiograms of all nine essays. I hope you enjoy listening to Boston's Future in Nine College Essays. Essay number one by Anna Shannon. Anna's is from Algeria. According to the American Community Survey, there are only 176 Algerians living in Boston. In the fall of 2023, he will attend Suffolk University. Anna said that he loves wrestling and riding horses. Here is Anna's reading his essay, The Switch of Life. When I was 10, my mother announced we were going to the United States. I was excited and imagined it just like in the movies. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. But at first, that wasn't true. At the beginning of each year, teachers read the names of students and ask them where they are from. When I said Algeria, a country in Africa, my middle school classmates' ignorance and stereotypes begin. They said things like, you're from Africa and white? Some called me Osama and tossed their bags in front of me in the hallway yelling, it's a bomb. Uh, I couldn't advocate for myself in English yet, so I got into many fights. Every morning, I would wake up and ask myself, should I go or not? I spent days inside watching TV. That year, when I was fasting during Ramadan, a teacher noticed and asked me if I was a Muslim. I said I was a Christian. I became ashamed of who I was. One cloudy day in 2017, I was laying down on the couch skipping school when I heard my sister yelling. And she gave me the news that our grandmother had passed away. I felt like somebody shot me in the heart. I was close to my grandma. She made me feel special and sick. I couldn't go to her funeral in Algeria because I had to stay with my seven-year-old brother Khalil. While my family was gone, I avoided school for an entire month. I took this time to reflect on my own life and how I want to live it. I thought about my grandmother, who was a faithful person and always brought happiness and unity to our family table. I missed her spirit. The more I reflected on my grandma, the more I thought about who I was as a Muslim person in the U.S. I opened Google and searched how to live a meaningful life as a Muslim teen. When I started high school later that year, I decided to stop running from who I was. I started studying not only to get good grades, but also to gain knowledge of the world. I learned about my culture, its history, and the contributions my ancestors made to humanity. 
The Islamic Golden Age showed me how Islam inspired people to use knowledge to improve daily life and better understand the world. I was inspired to do the same. Instead of going home after school, I joined clubs like the Arab and West African club. Many of my classmates are also immigrants who experienced racism and we accept each other for who we are. My hopes for America has finally became real. I am proud of my Muslim culture. I invest in myself and find ways to make changes and give back to the community. I inspire to gain more knowledge and I want to have a job that contributes to humanity. My family moved around a lot and I want to provide a stable place that they can call home. Starting my journey to find who I am changed my life for the better. In college, I will continue this journey. Display school children arrive in Boston, and they are full of hope, having the highest expectations for their dreamed better life. But sadly, in many cases, they encounter xenophobia, prejudice, exclusion, and a profound sense of marginalization and danger. Anna's essay makes me think about the struggle that some of us have to be who we are wherever we are. Essay number two by Haley Michelle Bowden. Haley has danced since the age of five. She loves making art and she will go to college to study marketing with a concentration in graphic design in the fall of 2023. She is part of 3,813 Hondurans living in Boston. Haley's essay is called Caretaker. Every Sunday, we went to church. One week, we were running late, so my mom asked me if I could help my brother, Stephen. I found his all-black shoes and his church clothes, but I had a hard time dressing him because I was younger, but he was two times bigger than me. Stephen is comfortable with me, so he is calm and accepts my help. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I loved church, not only because I felt joy and peace, but I also got to be a kid because my mom was there. I had more freedom and I played with my friends. At a young age, I was often the primary caretaker for my brother as my single mom worked long hours as a teacher. My brother was born with Down syndrome a small city in Honduras does not have enough resources for people with special needs. There was only one school available for kids with disabilities, and the highest grade they offered was third. My mom was all alone, and I had to step up to the plate. I became one of the only resources my brother had at the time. Instead of staying after school to play with my friends, I would rush to get on the school bus so I could beat my brother home. And when he arrived, I would greet him at the gate. I had to heat his food and continue with my studies. It made me jealous that the rest of the kids got to play outside or go to the movies and live 
what seemed like a carefree life. But I always looked to my mom. My mom showed me the true value of hard work. Although she worked long hours, she always showed us her best self. At the time in my life, when I felt hopeless, like I didn't have a purpose beyond a caretaker, she said to me, Haley, todo mundo tiene algo que contribuir en este mundo. And you might fall, but you have to stand back up and keep your head up. Her words taught me about hope and perseverancia. I don't resent my brother for needing help. I don't resent my mom for needing help. I don't regret having to grow up at such a young age. I don't regret not having a typical childhood. My situation has helped me to see things in a different light. Since we moved to America, my brother started school again. I've seen his progress and realized that if we still live in Honduras, he would not have the communication and life skills he has here. Going to college will give me the resources I need so I can contribute not just to America, but also my home country. I want to create a foundation so the kids with disabilities in Honduras can improve and have better opportunities to become part of society. My brother never had the chance to develop speech and other motor skills that would have allowed him to be more independent. I will make sure that future generation of kids with disabilities have the resources they need to live happy and healthy lives. I will work hard to become a positive role model for those in need. I want to continue to be a caretaker. In Boston, 7.1% of children between the ages of 5 and 17 have cognitive difficulties, and 88.8% of these children are enrolled in schools. Haley's essay makes me think, Access to quality high school education and higher education is fundamental for building a just and inclusive 21st century society. Education levels the global playing field for the next generation of workers, inventors, thinkers, artists, and entrepreneurs. And all these players are the future of a healthy transnational economy in which skilled professionals are needed. With accommodation, people with a variety of abilities can participate in this transnational economy. Essay 3 by Darwin's Fortune. Darwin's arrived in Boston from Haiti. He brought with him his passion for soccer, which gave him his skills to score his greatest goal. Here is Darwin's reading his essay, Goal. Soccer was the only sport that I ever knew. It was physical. It was addicting. Back in school in Haiti, we used two trees or two rocks as goals so that we could play during recess. When we played on weekends, we stuffed an orange into a sock to use as a ball. We played barefoot on concrete or dirt. We played even though our shoes tore and we may not get new ones until the next school year. 
I used to be slow, and when I shot the ball, it went way over the goal, or to the left, or to the right. It took me a couple of years, but I love seeing myself improve. Soccer was the only future I saw until I moved to America. In July 2016, I was dragged from Haiti because my dad was immigrating to the U.S. My parents didn't even tell me I was moving until a month before. I was so shocked. I have an older brother and two sisters. Why did they choose me? My parents saw that I was good at school and they believed I could eventually make a lot of money and succeed. I could take care of my whole family. This was my only goal. Before leaving, my mom told me, even if people are mistreating you, go through it and don't forget where you came from. The summer before ninth grade, I went through a transformation. Haiti had a lot of corruption. There was violence, kidnappings, shootings, protests. The island nation of Haiti is moving closer to the brink of collapse. Since early January, the country was left without a single elected official, leaving heavily armed gangs to be in control. And Haitians are living in fear and chaos. My mom was robbed and almost assaulted. During that time, I once again promised her that I would become successful and give her a better life. A life where she could be safer and sleep soundly. I was mad. I thought of all the others suffering in the country, all the moms, I made that into my new goal. I would take care of my whole country, not just my family. I decided on two paths. The first was going pro as a soccer player and getting rich that way. I planned to improve my skills and play for a wealthy club that would provide me enough money to achieve that goal. The other was pursuing computer science so I could create games and make money from them. I love playing video games. The video game creators write a lot of code. They spend time constantly improving and tweaking their work to make updates. That's like I did back on the field in Haiti. Coming to the US has allowed me to continue to improve. I'm on the school soccer team. I have cleats. I have a bigger field where I can play. A gym where I train. Now I run faster, play better. When I shoot, I am more likely to reach a goal. I'm getting a good education and good grades. I have the opportunity to go to a strong university where I can take computer science and play soccer. I believe that by going to college, I am on a clear path with the ultimate goal of helping my family and my country. Thank you. Immigrant families and their children arrive in their new lands with high aspirations, optimism, dedicated hard work, and positive attitude towards school. And most immigrant youth carry the responsibility to be the future providers for the entire family. In Boston, 73.5% of computer-related occupations are held by the native-born and 26.5% by the foreign-born. I wish Dowens all the best to score his life goal. Essay number four by Mai Nguyen. Mai is from Vietnam. She and her mother arrived in Boston during the COVID-19 pandemic. Immigrant youths have to face many challenges. 
family separation, difficulty in communication, making sense of the new culture, impoverished neighborhoods, and schools that are under-resourced. But Mai had something else to deal with. Here is Mai in her essay, How I Glued My Broken Heart. She blew out the brilliant fire in front of my face. Why are her friends, relatives, and parents cheer so loudly that it echo around the room? I showed them my sweetest smile to hide my jealousy. Even the birthday banner of my best friend seems so gorgeous. It's because you never have your birthday celebrated. I told myself. How can she be so lucky? I asked myself. This 10-year-old girl had her birthday celebrated on the top floor of a building in Vietnam. She received tons of gifts wrapped in shiny, polished, colorful paper. But what caught my attention was she had her mother and her father next to her. Together, they created an incredible scene to make me feel so happy for my friend, but also helpless because I would never have that for myself. I closed my heart as my dad ended our family's connection. I became ashamed whenever my friends learned about my situation because they would treat me so gently, like I was broken. Those feelings haunted me every night. Those feelings haunted me every night. I didn't know when I would be happy again. I did not want to make friends or to talk to anyone anymore. The house was silent. I wished I could hear those cheering echoes again. I knew I was not the only one who fell into darkness after my dad left. Every day seemed like a torture to my mom. However, she did not stop hoping for a better life. She worked seriously in seven different jobs, making sure there's no fear of hunger, getting wet when it's raining, or being bullied for not having a dad in us. This is porridge, and I cook it with pork and egg. I cooked it yesterday, so I just need to reheat it two or three minutes. Then you wait until it boils, then you turn off the gas oven, and then you pour it out into a bowl. I cook it for you to have enough energy to study at night. I realized suffering wouldn't take me anywhere. Instead of spending all day sobbing and blaming the unknown reason that caused my misery, I decided to make my mom my motivation and change. I've been trying to break free from my safe but lonely zone, especially seeing immigrating to the US in 2020, but it has not been easy. My first day of school in the U.S. was on Zoom. I met my classmate through a tiny screen. 
everyone turned the cameras off, which made me wonder. How can I learn this environment? Will I make any friends? I had tons of questions popping up in my head and it made my hand shakes unconsciously. However, the statement. Can someone please answer this question and remember there's no stupid answers. Spoken by my teacher. Took me out of my cage. I decided to raise my hand, something that I hardly ever did before. My intuition told me, You are changing. After two years of living and learning in America, a raised hand does not satisfy me anymore. My classmates started turning to me for help. I turned from an immigrant with communication barriers to an active listener and speaker. I became passionate about helping people. I helped translate during my school vaccine clinic and organize events as a member of the student government. For the very first time, I became a leader. These days, whenever I talk about my dad, the pen is still there as if everything happened yesterday. But I'm no longer a little girl that lets tears drop down her face. Obstacles make me stronger, and the pain reminds me to keep going. Love and care don't have to come from a birthday party. I have desire to try. I have my mom to take care of. I have my family to protect, and I have myself to better. I can be a child from a divorced family, but it will no longer keep me in darkness. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Mai will attend Northeastern University in the fall of 2023. 1.8% of Boston's population was born in Vietnam. She said that before attending Boston International Newcomers Academy, she had never heard of countries like Cape Verde. Today, her best friend, Adelsa, is from Cape Verde and also a senior. Adelsa will attend Simmons University. You can hear her essay on the website. Essay number five by Ryan Pierre-Louis. Ryan is from Haiti. The way that migrant children arrive in Boston is not the same for all. Some children arrive with some kind of immigration status. This includes newcomers with any kind of authorization, such as refugee, or simply through family reunification policies. Others arrive not knowing if they will be able to stay or will be deported at any given moment. These are the undocumented, the DACA recipients, the asylum seekers, and the unaccompanied minors. Ryan arrived with the dream to save all lives. Here is Ryan reading his essay, Not Today. Back in Haiti, in a community where everyone knew each other, there was a little ninja growing up who was surrounded by cats. That ninja was me. The cats were like my second family. 
My name is Snow, Snow White. She was just a, a tiny ball warm of fur. She still couldn't work or eat by herself. So I had to do everything for her. I felt tormented, feeling that Snow was going to go missing, just like my previous cat. I spent an entire day thinking about how to save my protege. Three months later, in the middle of the night, I had some cat fighting on the balcony. This scared me, because in Haiti, there's a meat a myth about Lugaro, a person who can transform into any animal they want, preferably a cat, to hurt people for revenge or enjoyment. I tried to cover my head and bury myself on the bed until I managed to fall asleep. The next morning, I went on the balcony and saw snow laying there, taking slow deep breath. When I tried to pick her up, I noticed a big hole on the side of her head. Blood and pus were oozing out of it. I let out a loud cry. She's dying, I said. My mom ran inside to get dressed and told me I should stop crying. Ninjas don't cry. Then left in a hurry to find a veterinarian. Mas word kind of struck something in me, and I decided to take matters into my own hands. I stood up, marched into my room, and grabbed rubbing alcohols, hydrogen peroxide, and some random pills, probably vitamins. When my sister asked me if Snow was going to die, I responded. Not today, because Cyberian is here. I did some salt, pepper, leek, ginger powder, smashed all of them, add water, put the mix in a syringe, and tried to squirt it into Snow's mouth. She started drooling, shaking her head frantically, snarling, hissing, and jumped off the balcony to run away. Because of the medicine I made and gave her, she was going to die. So, I dashed off after her. After four hours of searching, I found Snow and brought her to the animal clinic. This experience was a scary one, but kind of exciting. <laughs> it made me realize how important and beautiful life is. I saw how happy Snow was after coming back from the animal clinic, so I wanted to become a veterinarian. One of the greatest to ever exist, one of the best. I could treat those in need of my help, humans and animals alike, and make them happy just like Snow. Ryan will attend UMass Lowell in the fall of 2023. Access to higher education is crucial for the young migrants who are escaping poverty. Inadequate or unsafe schooling 
collapsing social structures, and bleak work prospects. Without higher education and stimulating job opportunities, their desired quality of life will be just an illusion. I don't know about you, but listening to these college essays makes me think that we cannot ignore the data. Boston has more than 690 residents, and in the city, 29% of the population is foreign-born, and many are children of immigrants. So immigrant or foreign-born have significant contributions to make to the future of Boston. And so I ask, will we continue to disinvest in those who arrive ready to succeed, Or will we match their enthusiasm with resources to help them achieve their best potential? These choices are ours and the consequences are great. This country has been challenged and enriched by waves of immigrants eager to make a better life for themselves and especially their children. Special thanks to Ryan, Haley, Dowens, Dario, Saskia, Mai, Adelsa, Don Carey, and Anis for reading your essays and generously sharing your world with us. Thanks for listening to Boston and Stories and Numbers. Many thanks to Boston 826 and thanks to Boston International Newcomers Academy. This audio project was created by Eloisa Barbosa in close collaboration with the Research Division of the Boston Planning and Development Agency. Many thanks to the whole team of the Research Division, and in particular to the director, Alvaro Lima. Without Alvaro, this project would never have happened. This episode was produced by Eloisa Barbosa. Music score was by Paolo Pinheiro. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. The realization of this audio documentary was supported by the City of Boston, as part of its Artist and Residency program created by the Mayor's Office of Arts and Culture. All of us who are listening, please keep supporting all the voices of Boston's artists and residents. I'm Phil Granberry, and I hope we meet again soon.